climate risks are financial risks. That is the founding axiom of the Task Force for Climate Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. But understanding those risks means collecting reliable data and being able to make meaningful comparisons with it. It's a developing space, but there are tools available to make this easier. In this special episode, sponsored by EdHEC Infra and Private Assets, we'll explore why this data matters, the challenges investors are facing, and what they can do about it. I'm James Lineker with Infrastructure Investor, and this is Spotlight. Working at the heart of the intersection between climate risk and financial risk is Abhishek Gupta, Associate Director at analytics provider the EdHEC Infrastructure Institute, and also Head of Product Development for EdHEC's Inframetrics platform. He has seen the growth of this space firsthand. I've been doing this for over a decade now, being in alternatives through asset management firms, through private equity fund managers. But as you have it, finance and climate change sort of crossed paths. So did I. So I've been with EdEc for about five years now. And my initial role was to design solutions for the financial products. So the investors in infrastructure or PE in general, how they may use different indices, valuation products, and so on. Gupta's focus now is to use climate data to design solutions for clients' reporting and risk management needs. His colleague, Nishti Manocha, is a senior research engineer at EdHec Infra. She's been working with climate data for more than a decade and, like Gupta, has seen the topic from a number of perspectives. For me, sustainability was something that I wanted to do very early in life. During my PhD at the School of Civil and Environmental Engineering, I was really working with raw climatic data, climatic models, all the stuff that the IPCC puts out, downscaling them. With the perspective of assessing and managing flood risk for urban areas, I also was an environmental economist at one point of time in my life to understand the costs and benefits of building adaptive infrastructure to deal with the changing climate. So it was quite natural for me to move to EDEC, where more recently I have been working on ESG impacts and risks for the infrastructure sector. This raises the question, of course, of what exactly those ESG impacts and risks are. Do infrastructure investors really need to worry about ESG data? The answer, increasingly, is yes. Non-financial data, ESG data, has increasingly become an input in investment decisions in many asset classes, including infrastructure. This has become particularly clear for EdHEC, as conversations have changed over the last few years. Four years ago, EdHEC Infra established its ESG programme. And when we started that, we knew there was an interest in the market for ESG data, but that's all that we knew. And that's when we started talking to people, we started conducting surveys, and consistently what we heard was that I need ESG information. I don't know what kind of information I need. I know it has to be aligned with what my stakeholders and regulators are asking for. It was a space that everyone was trying to figure out what's the best metric to use, how should we measure it, how should we use it to make decisions. It was a bit flexible at that point of time. And that's where we understood that there is a need for this data. And across the process that we've had, we, of course, constantly kept in touch with our clients and Of course, there's also the industry itself has matured and now there is more clarity and more consistency in the kind of data that's needed. From these conversations, three themes stand out as reasons to use ESG data. The first of these is reporting. Whether it's reporting to regulators, stakeholders, society, everyone wants to know what your ESG impacts are and what your ESG risks are. 
And this has become increasingly important as the world is facing climate change and this is becoming an urgent question. And everyone wants to know what is being done by any particular individual or organization or investments for making this better. The second key theme is risk management. Doing ESG right or wrong does carry many types of risks, right? There is the reputation risk of it. There is the actual risk of your asset being flooded or damaged. And there is just a risk of your investment not working out because it faces a transition risk. Your coal power plant faces a high carbon tax or it becomes a stranded investment. So this is something people need to know about. So risk management becomes increasingly important. And this is fueled by ESG data. The third theme is the use of ESG data to identify new investments, which has become particularly relevant in the context of a transitioning economy. ESG data can play a vital role for investors and managers looking to both avoid risks and find opportunities. I mean, risk and return go hand in hand. So finding opportunities is as important as managing the risk of your investments. If you think about in terms of opportunities, renewable power, for example, we have seen that the investment valuations have increased quite a lot. And part of the reason is the demand. Now, if you think about where the demand is coming from, it's related to climate impact, climate change, and that's the need of the hour. The governments are putting out more and more initiatives to promote that investment and investors are capitalizing on it. That's why the risk and opportunity for finding better investments, better returns, they go hand in hand. That brings us back to the TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, because these are precisely the issues with which the TCFD is concerned. At its heart, the TCFD is a set of disclosures for reporting climate-related financial risks. I mean, at its core, TCFDs are like guidelines, right? That if you want to report on climate data, then this framework provides you a system, a guidelines that you can follow to report your carbon emissions, to report the risk of your investments, the climate risk of your investments, and also conduct some kind of scenario analysis that if we do manage to transition to a lower carbon world, then what kind of impact it can have on your investment portfolio, or if we don't, for example, like there are severe floods or severe climate events in the future. As a result, what kind of physical risk you face on your investments? There are 11 recommended disclosures, which are not mandatory, in most jurisdictions at least, although they are in the UK. According to the 2022 TCFD status report, 80% of firms disclosed in line with at least one of the 11 disclosures, but only 4% disclosed 11 out of 11. TCFT comes from the Financial Sustainability Board, which was set in the aftermath of the 2009 global financial crisis, and it was built to promote international financial stability. Now, in 2015, the FSB created TCFT. I know there are a lot of acronyms here, but that's how this space moves. TCFT, or the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, uh, this was created in 2015 with the same objective, to provide consistent, comparable disclosures of a firm's impacts on climate. The aim was to have consistent, comparable disclosures. And the idea was that better information allows companies to better incorporate climate-related risks and opportunities. It enables better risk management, better strategic planning and decision-making. And if more and more of this information is available by if a lot of people start reporting this, what this will do is it will increase the understanding of the financial implications of climate change with the ultimate objective of probably having the market move one way or the other, with the objective of having investments channeled into sustainable solutions, finding more opportunities, and thus making this sector a little bit more greener. Collating and disclosing this data is one thing. 
but knowing how to usefully capitalise on it is another. On one side of a coin, ESG data is concerned with understanding the impact of an asset on the environment. How much carbon does it emit? How does that impact global warming? And what can an asset do about that? On the other side of a coin, however, ESG data is concerned with what the environment might do to an asset. This is where all your physical risks come in. Impact of a rising sea level, your flood risk, hurricanes, typhoons, and the way they disrupt assets or they damage assets and what this means for individual asset owners. The current impact of an asset's carbon emissions or the impact of climate change is quite visible, like you said. I think the bigger struggle is that the impact that can happen in the future. And this is where investors and data providers like us, we are spending a lot of time performing different scenario analysis and so on. Because ultimately, that's the risk you are managing. It's not so much, it is also the problem today if you have these heat waves and the wildfires and floods in different parts of the world. But imagine within the next 30 years, it's how worse it can get. And that's sort of the impact that you are trying to manage today. With infrastructure's long timelines, thinking a decade or even decades ahead really matters. But how you think about this data matters too. Tracking carbon emissions is one thing, but doing it on a basis of absolute emissions is not particularly meaningful. Granularity and context are key. In the space of infrastructure and the data sets that we are developing, we are trying to not only understand these impacts, but also inform these impacts in a meaningful way. So, for example, we build data sets that tell you what your emissions are per unit revenue or, you know, these other financial intensity metrics that we are building. So which lets you not only understand what the impact is, but to understand in a way that's meaningful to you and in a way that you can track over time, basically. Two of the main factors EdHEC looks at are climate impact through carbon emissions and physical risks from climatic events. Let's focus on those. In order to measure our carbon risks, what we do is we build models that predict your scope one, two, three emissions at the asset level. These models are physical models or statistical models, and they use thousands of reported scope one, two, three emissions, thousands of regressors to build emission estimates across 101 types of infrastructure asset classes. And given that these models are estimates, these models still need to produce good quality data. So this is where we align our models and align our products with internationally recognized methodologies. So for example, all our models are aligned with the greenhouse gas protocol. So the way we measure scope one to three emissions are aligned with the greenhouse gas protocol. Further, we use the PCAF scores to score our individual models to see how good our data quality is. Once we do this, we build asset level models that give you scope one to three emissions and that give you asset level physical risks. PCAF scores measure data quality and range from one to five. A PCAF score of one is used for the most reliable data, which is typically audited greenhouse gas emissions data or real primary energy data. A score of two is the next most reliable, down to a score of five which is estimated data with very limited support. When it comes to improving data quality, I think one thing to note is that instead of having perfect estimates, it's more important to have comparable estimates. Because if you have a really perfect emission estimation of asset one and a poor emission estimation of asset two, and you start comparing these two numbers to make your decisions, it's not going to work very well. Crucially, just because data comes from an estimate doesn't mean it isn't useful. In the UK, 
where the TCFD is mandatory, the Financial Conduct Authority recognises that, at least for a transitional period, there will be data and methodological challenges. They say in the absence of this high granularity or what we say is good quality data, they encourage the use of these estimates or proxies. So when you say it's an estimated data, doesn't mean it's bad data. As long as it's estimated in a manner that is consistent with the greenhouse gas protocol, as long as it's estimated in a manner that is allowed by the PCAF standards or the Partnership for Carbon Accounting Financial Standards, which actually provides very detailed methodological guidance for making these estimates uh, for the financial sector. There are broadly two ways to measure carbon emission estimations. For example, for an energy company, you could first look at tonnes of carbon produced per megawatt, and that would give you one estimate. But another approach would be to look at economic intensity. So, taking tons of carbon per dollar of revenue. These emission factors typically come from international salient organisations. If you use emission factors that are well accepted by the industry, it's okay. So now, between these two methodologies, both of them which are assumed to be correct, your emissions could vary by a factor of 10. It doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means that one is more accurate than the other. And PCAF says that using a production-based emission factor is more accurate than using a revenue-based emission factor. So the way to improve these scores is just to collect data, or it's just to collect data which is assumed to be better at making these estimates. Everything out there, be it the PCAF score 1 or 5, everything is based on an estimate. Nobody is counting individual carbon dioxide molecules, right? So they are estimating it somehow. Similarly with physical risk, nobody is trying to flood their asset and seeing what kind of impact there would be. They're estimating what kind of impact can happen. So everything is an estimate. It's more about how accurate your estimates are, what sort of inputs you use, what data you use, how reliable that is. And that's ultimately the point that we are making here. So in terms of the solutions, we've got two kinds. One that allows you to make those estimates. And that's really about whether you are looking at absolute carbon emissions, you are looking at carbon efficiency in terms of per dollar revenues, per dollar value of the company and whatever, or it's about benchmarking that let's say you want to compare your investment against rest of the market, you know, whether you are more efficient, whether you are more polluting or less polluting and that sort of stuff. Absolute carbon emissions have only limited utility for forming comparisons, particularly when one asset is much larger than another. That's why the second metric we mentioned, based on per dollar revenues, is also useful. That can tell you how efficient an asset is. So these sort of metrics lets you, first of all, get an estimate of your asset. You can look in our data what sort of similar companies are there with a similar size, similar dollar revenues, and use that to estimate for your own investment, whether you are similarly in the ballpark of those assets. And that's sort of the approach that we call comps. It's very common in financial world. We use that to value companies. And a simple example is if you went, want to value your house, you look at the neighboring houses and that's how you try to get an estimate. Similarly, you can do this for climate comps. That might not be very precise at the asset level, but for an investor reporting on the portfolio level who invests indirectly through funds, it helps to build a picture. Another useful exercise is benchmarking. Inframetrics provides both proxies and benchmarks. Inframetrics uses a combination of reported data, physical models and statistical techniques to produce robust, 
PCAF-aligned climate impact and risk metrics for hundreds of individual assets across the infrastructure asset class. And this is enough to build robust proxies, or COMPs, and benchmarks of climate impacts and risks, including, first, climate impacts, where the scope 1, 2, 3 emissions are measured on an absolute metric, as well as the carbon footprint is measured and available, and emissions per unit of revenue or production are available at the asset level as well as at the portfolio level. Two, it's transition risk metrics where we look at funded emissions, the EVITDA at risk, and extreme climate value, and this involves the use of climate scenarios. And third are climate impact and risk benchmarks, which help you compare your assets and portfolios to reference segments in the market. As more and more data is collated and made available, and in turn becomes relied upon more heavily, the challenge of ensuring that the data is reliable becomes all the greater. Reliable data lets you make more informed decisions. That's as true for financial data as it is for climate data. If you have confidence in what you are using for your analysis, it lets you make you know, more informed decisions, it lets you find better opportunities, it lets you manage risk better. And in climate data, that's becoming more and more important. We have seen that policymakers, businesses, investors, they all struggle right now with the climate data. So it's an issue that's not for any one part of the investment chain. It's like every stakeholder in that investment chain is struggling with this problem. Policymakers, they need data to decide, you know, uh, what sort of carbon taxes to impose in different jurisdictions, you know, to what sectors, to what level and so on. Businesses need to address how to manage these carbon emissions for their businesses and investors have the same problem. And from the portfolio point of view, they need to understand, you know, how to report on those investments, how to manage risk on those investments. So reliable data helps all across the board. To me, reliable data is at the center of the sustainability journey. And it's at the center of the sustainability journey for all the actors that are in this value chain, from the assets themselves who need reliable information to add in solutions, to make sure that they're meeting their goals, to see whether they're going in the right direction, to investors who need this to make meaningful comparisons across the board, then to policymakers who need to understand the questions of what gets taxed, what doesn't, and none of this happens if the baseline is not correct. You can't say that you're transitioning to a better world or you're making carbon-neutral investments if you don't know that you're measuring all of this correctly. Right now, there is perceived to be a lack of suitable data sources and methodologies to build consistent data sets and make meaningful comparisons. But it's still vital to fill in these gaps consistently in a robust manner that does allow these meaningful comparisons at the end of the day. And that's what uh, we are striving to do in the face of data not being reliable, in the face of data not being available. The data sets that we are creating are built to make these meaningful comparisons possible. And if you think about it, you know, not from a financial or economic point of view, but overall it's helping the world. So that's as big a goal as there can be, right? The reliable data is needed for surviving in the future. Being necessary for future survival is pretty hard to beat. But more on this topic and other pretty important ones can be found at infrastructureinvestor.com. You might also want to listen to more of our podcasts and those are available in all the usual places or on PEI Group's various titles online. Thanks again to our guests, Abhishek Gupta and Nishta Manocha from EdHeck. I'm James Lineker. Thanks for listening.